Hi, this is PC Herring, author of Cybrosis, a codename Cyrus Conspiracy, and the forthcoming podcast novel, Slipspace Harbinger. And you are listening to The Melting Podcast. You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Welcome to the Disaster Kitchen for episode 27 of The Melting Podcast. I am your grill mistress, Erin Kazmark. And I'm your head chef, A.F. Grappin. Yes, you are. Yeah. Rock this joint. We have a full schedule of events for you this month. Ooh, well, I I didn't know we were keeping our listeners to a schedule. Yeah, we've only got so much time before, you know, the episode just needed to end. That's true. So we should get moving. All right, well, what do we have first? Well, first... I'm going to tease you guys and tell you that the results for our first cook-off challenge will be at the end of the episode. <laughs> so you're just going to have to deal with it until then. You know, hang around, listen to the rest of it. Yeah. Possibly enjoy a story by our very own Scott Roche. <gasps> we do have another Scott Roche story. Yay! But he has pulled a Hugh O'Donnell. <gasps> he wrote a main ingredient story based off of a Stoke the Fire prompt. How dare he? Uh-huh. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Let's listen to it. Okay. This story was based off of prompt number four. A company has just received an order of fledges. They did not order these. So let's go. Bon appetit. Fledges by Scott Roche. One more mistake like that and you're fired! Mr. Peterson jabbed with his unlit cigar and then jammed it into one corner of his frown. Without waiting for an answer, he spun on his heel and left the loading dock. George was stunned. He hadn't realized that delivering the wrong thing to the head of human resources could cost him his job. Of course, that one thing turned out to be a sex toy of truly gigantic proportions. That it was meant for someone else didn't matter. The toy got opened, the wrong people saw it, and Mrs. Harrison was mortified. Enough so that she was ready to fire him on the spot, apparently. He turned to face the shipment that had only just arrived via the big brown truck and set about to scanning them in. He pointed his little gun-shaped barcode scanner at each box, and it would make a note in his computer. Those notes told him who they were to go to and would let the system know the box had arrived. When he got to the bottom of this stack, he put the gun in its holster and walked over to his laptop. Now he'd print out the list, ordered by the location of the recipient, and he'd get it to them in a timely fashion. I'll put my head down, and I'll work my butt off, and this whole thing will blow over. The printer whined to life, and while the pages printed, he grabbed the cart. Mail went into a flat box near the cart's handle, already sorted. He then took the list from its cradle on the printer. The first thing on the list jumped out at him. Where there should be a name and desk location was nothing but a blank box. That shouldn't be. The sender had no name. There was just a P.O. box located in a town in Kansas he'd never heard of. He sorted through the boxes until he found the right one. Stamped on each side of the box was the word, Fledges, and a note that they should be handled with care. This was someone's idea of a practical joke. He didn't know what a fledge was, and there was no one to give it to. Ordinarily, he'd call Mr. Peterson in here. That wasn't an option. 
Company policy was that no one open any mail that wasn't addressed directly to them. That policy was as new as the incident with the rubber penis. If he left this sitting on his cart, undelivered, there was a chance that he would somehow be made the responsible party. This whole thing was going to mean his job, and once he was fired, there weren't many other places to work in town. Not that paid as well as this one. And he needed the money for school in the fall. Crap. There was nothing to it but to put the package in the trunk of his car and figure out what to do with it later. Maybe he could convince the delivery guy to take the box back. He tucked the carton of fledges under his arm and went out the side door. He popped the trunk on his 20-year-old Hyundai and put the box snugly between a carton of hangers and an old suitcase. They were destined for a goodwill drop-off after work. With that done, he went back to the loading dock and pushed his cart out. The day passed quickly. He avoided eye contact, worked through lunch, and generally kept his head down. Whispers and titters followed him all day. The scuttlebutt was that he was in on the gag involving Mrs. Harrison, but it would do no good to argue. He would be the scapegoat if he made a fuss. That was how things were in this company. Once his shoes hit the parking lot again, the sky was dark and no stars could be seen through the soupy cloud cover. He threw his weight into the seat and pulled the door shut behind him. The thump was hardly loud or satisfying, but it did mean he had 14 hours of freedom and one fewer day until he was back in the dorms. George's living space was every bit as run down as his car. The duplex had seen better days, both inside and out. Bricks were missing from the facade, revealing the boards beneath. The plaster walls were cracked inside, and the space beneath their window unit, itself installed not in a window but in a hole cut through the wall, was always damp. It smelled of feet, reheated pizza, and mold. It was cheap, though, and his roommates were decent guys. Neither of them was home. Jace was no doubt delivering the pizza that made up much of their diet. Freddie was working at one of the nightclubs a few blocks away as a bouncer. He carried the box of fledges to his bedroom and shut the door. He wasn't hungry, his stomach still in knots over the mistake he made today. You know what? Screw him. I didn't mess up. And if they fire me, then Freddie can get me a job pulling beers at the club. His hands hovered over the box. His new bravado as thin as the wall between his bedroom and Jace's. I'll open this and see what the heck a fledge is. The palms of his hands brushed the cardboard, and just then... Something in the box vibrated. George found himself standing on the headboard of the second-hand bed he had. He hadn't realized it would hold his weight. The creaking sound it made indicated it wouldn't hold for long. Ah, where are you? The box sat there, not answering his question. The vibration had stopped. Or was it more of a buzz? He gingerly stepped off of the headboard and onto the mattress. This time his box springs groaned. From there, he hopped to the floor. Bugs? It sounds like bugs. Are you full of wasps? Someone could certainly have shipped a box of the nasty buggers to his company. They made a lot of people mad, or so he heard. I read somewhere that you can freeze bees, and eventually they'll wake up and be mad as hell. Did someone do that to you? The box vibrated again. No, it was a buzz. It was definitely a buzz. You are full of wasps. Now I really can't deliver you. Peterson would have my nuts in a vice while he called the cops. The thought of killing the innocent insects didn't appeal to him either. 
He supposed he could put it in the freezer and put them back to sleep. He grabbed the box and the whole thing practically leaped in his hands. He almost dropped it, but the thought that it might drop, break open, and release a thousand angry wasps made his grip solidify. He was in the kitchen inside of twenty steps. He didn't run, but neither did he move slowly. He opened the freezer door. Two pizzas threatened to slide out and drop on his feet. He held them in with the box's side. There was no way the fledges would fit, even taking the pizzas out. He could gut the whole thing, non-functioning ice maker and all, and there still wouldn't be room. Would the fridge be enough? No, he didn't think so. The refrigerator barely got cold enough to hold milk for four days. He carried the buzzing box to their dining room table. The thing was held together with duct tape, and one leg was part of a trophy they'd found in a trash can and taped in place. Rickety as it was, it was level enough. He put the box down and wiped his sweaty palms down the sides of his pants. What are we going to do with you? There was no answer by way of buzzing. George leaned down and put one ear to the side of the box. A light scratching sound almost masked the other, somehow more dreadful sound he heard. It was ticking. A bomb made of wasps? Is there anything more terrible? Now he didn't even want to touch it. Who knew what would make it go off early? He was surprised it hadn't already exploded. I'll just take it outside and leave it there. If it blows up, then the wasps will just go everywhere, and eventually they'll fly off. Yeah. He took a step forward, hands out. On the count of three, I'm going to grab you and run outside. One. He flexed his fingers. Two. He dropped his stance a little, widening it. Two and a half. He opened and closed his hands. Three! He grabbed the box and ran for the front door. Well, it wasn't a run so much as it was a series of long strides. His third stride took him out of the kitchen. He felt his right foot snag on the edge of the carpet as it moved forward. He stopped suddenly, but his upper body wanted to continue going forward. He lost his balance and everything slowed down. The box left his grip and went sailing through the air. He covered his head with his now free arms and waited to hit the floor. It didn't take long. He caught most of his weight on his knees and elbows. The air rushed out of his body in an explosion of curses. They weren't inventive, but he hadn't used a couple of them in a year. He skinned his elbows and didn't know if he'd be able to run anytime soon. Only after he was sure he hadn't broken anything did he remember the box. Slowly, he lifted his head and looked at where it sat across the room. One corner was dented, but the box seemed overall whole. He breathed out a shuddering sigh of relief. The stupid thing had needed to make it from wherever it originated to his office. It did so in the tender care of the USPS. The box would have needed to be made of sterner stuff than he'd given it credit for. Gingerly, he got to his feet and walked over to the box. When he lifted it to his ear, he could no longer hear the ticking he had before. Surely I didn't break you. He shook it very gently. There was no sound of broken glass or any other indication that a fine mechanism had been turned into worthless scrap. Without thinking about it any further, he tore into the box. Bits of cardboard and tape soon covered the table. When he was done, a small silver box lay in his hand.
Taped to it was a bit of stiff paper. The characters that covered the paper weren't in any language he recognized. He pulled it off of the silver box and was horrified to see what had to be warnings. It showed quite graphic repercussions if it were penetrated, broken, or put in a fire. The only positive outcome looked like it was had if you held it. He looked more closely. The stick figure wasn't holding it. They were rubbing it. He took the silver box in his hand. There wasn't a single seam. It looked like it was cast from aluminum, but it was heavier. He stroked the sides of it, and it began to warm up. The buzzing started again, though it seemed less like ticking and buzzing now. It reminded him of the movement of insects. There were little pieces moving around in the box. After a series of loud clicks, it stopped making noises. Only then did the seams appear. He put it down, struggling not to just drop it or throw it across the room. The seams became points of articulation, and those became something like arms and legs. After thirty seconds, a small figurine that looked like a cubist representation of a centaur stood on the table. The four lower limbs were as delicate as was the body. The torso and upper arms were more defined and robust. The box-like head was covered in faint filigree that might be a mouth, nose, and eyes. Greetings. The voice that came sounded muffled, like it came from within the construct. I am a fully licensed educational guardian Epsilon class sentient. George pushed his chair back. You're a what now? My purpose is to educate and guard young life forms so that they are ready for the coming contact. Your species is Epsilon class in terms of its development and intelligence. I am sentient on your level. You may call me. Fledges. It is a clumsy acronym, but that's how it roughly translates in your primitive language. George wasn't able to focus on the multi-level insult that had just been leveled at the human race, given what the being represented. I just made first contact. The Fledges, or was that its name, nodded. After a fashion, and after trying to damage me. I didn't mean to. I was scared. And that is why your race is still Epsilon class. Why were you in the mail? Camouflage. The methods we use to get our fledges into the right place and at the right time take a variety of forms, including but not limited to swamp gas, mysterious satellites, and cardboard boxes. George couldn't wrap his head around that. Who are you going to see? Truthfully, that doesn't matter. Since, as far as we're concerned, your smartest scientist is on level with someone like you, anyone with sufficient curiosity is good enough. You opened the box, so it is you that I was meant to see. George scratched his head. This thing was beginning to annoy him. Now look, I'm a pretty smart guy as humans go. Fledges nodded again. Correct. As humans go. Do you know how to break the light barrier? George shook his head. Do you know how to make an artificial life form as complex as me? George shook his head again. This thing was arrogant. George started to get angry. I do know that I'm bigger than you are, and I can smash you. Resorting to violence? You could barely summon the courage to open my box. I'm not afraid of you. George raised his bald fist. I'll smash you. Before he could complete the action, a pink beam shot from the creature's forehead. All thoughts of violence left his head. 
These things were here to spread peace and knowledge. He didn't know why he was fighting it. I'll help you however I can. Very good. I have conveyed the knowledge to your brain. Follow your instructions, and you will help prepare the Earth for what is to come. I liked how he named the story Fledges. It was a bit of a giveaway. Yeah. I didn't do that with mine. No. no. But well, you're weird. Yeah, but that was a fun story. I like Scott. I just like Scott. I do too. Oh, Kilty Man. Kilty Man. Kilty Man with mustache. Well, we should move on. I'm going to introduce you to somebody else that I hope you're going to like. Because our next segment is a food critic. Ooh, food critic. It's been a while since we've done a food critic. Yeah, it has been. So we're due. And just because it's been a while, this is kind of going to be a double whammy. <laughs> whammy. Yeah. Because rather than just reviewing a novel at you. At me? Yes. Ooh. I'm reviewing the first two novellas in a series. Alrighty then. Well, what series are you talking about? This is the Genronauts series by Michael R. Underwood. I like his name. I like Genronauts. That's just fun <laughs> to say. <laughs> so the first two novellas in this series are they're on the ones that are out so far. I'm going to go ahead and give you the titles that will give you a breakdown of what they're about. The first novella is called The Shootout Solution. <laughs> and the second one is called The Absconded Ambassador. Ooh. So here's what's going on in genre knots. A fairly our age, uh, struggling stand-up comedian, her name is Leah, gets drafted into a secret government agency that fixes stories. Hmm. Earth is the central planet. It's Earth Prime. We've got all these outlying planets that are story worlds. And there's one for each genre. There's Western world. There's science fiction world. Romance world. One for every genre. And they're the inspiration for all of our stories. Oh, that's interesting. But stories can break. And there can be breaches in between their those worlds and ours. Okay. So just say, for example, if there is a story breach in Western world, we'll start to see that in a lot of gun violence here. So the group that Leah joins as a probationary member are the genre-nauts, people who are experts in different genres and in stories in general, mm -hmm. and can cross the dimension into these other worlds and go in and fix the stories, usually by following the stereotypes, the tropes of the genre. Okay. So the first one, the shootout solution, does take place in Western world. We're seeing a lot of gun violence. So this is Leah's introduction into mm -hmm. what's going wrong. So, you know, they've got basically every campy Western movie you've ever heard of happens here. Oh, God. But they go in, they have to figure out what's going wrong with the story, and then they have to fix it. Okay. Um, the second one, The Absconded Ambassador, is in sci-fi world. Ooh. Yeah. So we've got, you know, a bunch of planets coming together trying to create a treaty. But the uh, ambassador that's spearheading this whole thing has disappeared. And so now all the different alien races are wondering if humans can even really be trusted if their ambassador has gone, quote unquote, missing. So there's some people, there's part of the team that has to deal with all these uh, ambassadors 
And then the other team that's going on this spaceship mission to find and, and rescue the ambassador. Okay. Now, what's great about these stories is they are novellas. They are really short. You could read them in one to two sittings, honestly. Okay. They read really fast. But if you're interested in any sort of fiction, you're going to like these. Okay. Like, I'm, I'm not into westerns, really. No. But I still loved the first one. Fair. Um, is there a particular age group these are aimed at? or As far as I can tell, not really. Um, uh, like I said, anybody that enjoys stories is going to enjoy them. Okay. Um, I don't know that they're necessarily geared towards kids. Just mm-hmm. cause there, There is a little bit of language. Okay. But it's not... Not it's gratuitous. not gratuitous at all. Oh, it's, it's, great mind. It's, it's very approachable. Okay. Um, one of the things I really loved about these is... In some ways, they serve as an introduction to genre. Mm-hmm. So somebody who likes these stories but isn't familiar with, say, romantic comedies or even romances in general, once he gets to one that does romance, which I think is going to be the third one, mm-hmm. is going to have that introduction to him because you're exploring the tropes. Yes, you've already got the character mm-hmm. that you know who's just a normal person mm-hmm. who's going to these different worlds. You get that toe dipped in, so it's you're not a ma- it's not a matter of your you're learning a world, a genre, mm-hmm. and character. You've already got the character you care about. Mm-hmm. That character is introducing you to something. I, yeah. I like that concept. Yeah, but if you do get into a genre where you are familiar, like me with the second one, when he went to sci-fi world, I was catching references and, and throwbacks to Star Wars and Star Trek and Firefly. Um, he mentioned in like his foreword or afterward that, you know, he took a lot of inspiration from Battlestar Galactica, which I'm not familiar with, but people are. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of little things that are going to catch your eye. He, he mentions Ender's Game. Oh, wow. Yeah. There so you there's, go. there's just all these little references. That, so there's treats for people that are really hardcore fans in genre, but it's also a wonderful introduction if you're curious about exploring outside your comfort zone. Okay. So are there any other particular recurring characters other than Leah that you should get familiar with? Or Yeah, well, there, there's her team, um, which as of right now, there's, and I'm going to forget a couple of them, so I apologize, Michael. Um, there's Angstrom King. He's the leader of the group. That's quite a name. Yeah, they just call him King. <laughs> <laughs> and he is just, he, he knows what he's doing. He is definitely the leader. He's a very much a uh, Hannibal Smith or, you know, the, the, he's just the head of the group, period. Yeah. Um, there's Roman, who has a past that really started to get hinted at in the second novella that I am so eager to find out more about, but I don't want to spoil that for anybody. Yeah, yeah that's, no spoilers. That's a little bit of a reveal. I suspected it, but it's a reveal. Um, there's... I suddenly cannot remember her name. There's the other... woman. <laughs> How specific of you. I know. I feel so terrible. You should. Yes, I do. Sheeran? I think it's Sheeran. I should beat you with a whisk yeah. in punishment. But I think it's Sheeran, and she's awesome because she's, again, very well-versed. Mm-hmm. She's got experience. And there are a couple other kind of operator-type people that are just hang out on Earth Prime. They're not part of the away team, essentially. But So you, you do get familiar with the team, and I think we'll end up having Mallory come in. She's 
the person who Leah was brought in to sort of replace because she got injured and they weren't sure how long she was going to be out of commission. But I think she's going to be coming back in to the team for too long, and that's probably going to cause some sparks. All right. So there's there's a lot to look forward to. There's going to be a bigger overarching plot to all the novellas themselves, and it's already starting to get hinted at just in the first two. Okay, so so they stand alone on their own okay? Absolutely. Because it's going out and exploring one story world, one broken story, and fixing it. All right, so it'll be interesting to see how he ends up tying it all together. Mm-hmm. I yeah, like that. And the thing is, he's breaking it down into seasons. Oh, that's it's nice. like a show. Yeah. And, and, and I could be wrong, but I think I heard that he's doing basically three seasons. Either three or seven. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of seasons, but he already has a lot of the overarching things planned. Yeah. So I'm just really eager to see what he does. I mean, the, Michael R. Underwood, he's clearly a complete geek. <laughs> it has to be. Well, let me put it this way. One of the books he's written that I cannot wait to read is called Geekomancy. Oh, my. Yeah, that's on my reading list. I cannot wait to get to it. All right. So, so what rating would you give this book? How many spoons? Out of five spoons? Well, the first one, Shootout Solution, I give five spoons. Wow. And the second one, The Absconded Ambassador, I give five spoons. Oh, two five-spoon ratings. Two five-spoon ratings. Nice. And I am eagerly awaiting the third one, which should be out in the next couple of months. So go check out Genrenauts. The first one is The Shootout Solution. You will not regret it. Well, now that we're done criticizing someone... Those were glowing reviews. Yeah, but this segment's called Food Critic. I was making a pun. Oh, well, proceed. Thank you. So anyway, now that we're done criticizing someone, how about we promote someone instead? I like that idea. Listen to this. What are you doing for Memorial Day weekend this year? I've got the best working vacation planned ever. I'll be sitting on a panel talking about social media promotion. I am hanging out with my friends from all over the country and even across the globe. I'm hitting up several of the writing panels, anything that involves superpowers, but also that gritty sci-fi thriller vibe. I am going to be hanging out with the largest collection of podcasters in America. I'm probably going to kill someone. Sigler! No. Bad author. Bad. There will be at least one writing morning at the nearby Panera. I hear it's where all of the cool folks go for coffee. I'm spreading myself far too thin and going on both a podcasting track and the literary track. So, where am I spending this amazing weekend? At Balticon. I'm going to 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 Balticon. Shouldn't you be going too? That's Balticon, the Maryland Regional Science Fiction and Fantasy Convention, held Memorial Day weekend each year. For more information, go to balticon.org. We are back. So what's next? I don't know. It's a mystery. <gasps> Is a it a mystery, mystery meal? Yay! This is one of my favorite segments. Oh, yes. So mystery meals, they're Mad Libs. We just took a scene from classic literature, took out words, and got suggestions from you guys on Facebook and Twitter to fill them in. And this time we have for you the infamous duel scene from The Three Musketeers. By Alexander Dumas. Never speak French again. No, (laughs) ma'am. Now just remember, 
these don't get edited except for like, you know, a little trimming at the beginning and the end. So if we get a little rowdy or sidetracked, that's just because we're having a good time. Yeah, we have a lot of fun recording these. Here you go. All right, Mr. Mail. It's spam. Ew. <laughs> All right. So for our listeners, remember these are unedited. Unedited. That. This is the dual scene from Three Musketeers. Are we sure that picked up? No, we need to. That's okay. Turn it? If I have to. If we have to say it again. Okay. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Begin. Don't rush me. <laughs> Fuggle me raw, cried D'Artagnan. Is your first witness Monsieur Porthos? Yeah, I know. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I'm very literal when I read. Yes, that twerks you. <laughs> By no means. And here is the second. D'Artagnan thrusted in the direction pointed to by Athos and perceived Aramis. But that's funny. <laughs> it's not funny if they can't understand it. Yes. What? cried he in an accent of greater astonishment than before. Your second witness is Monsieur Daniel Craig. <laughs> Doubtless, and you are not aware that we are never inflamed when... Ah, yes, yes, okay. I'll, I'll need to redo that. Sorry. Are you not aware that we are never inflamed one without the others? And that we are called among the musketeers and the guards at court and in the city, Athos, Porthos, and Aramis, or the three sillies? <laughs> And yet, as you come from Dax or Pau, <laughs> from the airport, said D'Artagnan. <laughs> it is probable you are ignorant of this little fact, said Athos. My faith, replied D'Artagnan. You are well-named, gentlemen, and my adventure, if it should make any noise, will prove at least that your union is not founded upon contrasts. <laughs> In the meantime, Porthos had come up, waved a uvula to Athos, <laughs> and then turning toward D'Artagnan, expended, quite astonished. <laughs> Let us say in passing that he had changed his bloomers and relinquished Geometro. His Geometro. <laughs> Oh, thank you for specifying. Yes. <laughs> he changed his bloomers. Well. <laughs> they were given to him by the Tsarina of Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, said he. <laughs> what does this mean? <laughs> Need to slow down some more. No. <laughs> That'll make it go longer. This is the nurse practitioner I'm going to fight with, said Athos, <laughs> whining to D'Artagnan with his pinky, 
and saluting him with the same gesture. What? He whined at him. Why was your pinky? <laughs> I can't hear that. Guy. That's why he had it that made the same gesture. Mm. Yes. Why, it is with him I am going to twinkle, said Porthos. But not before 42 o'clock, said Dar- replied D'Artagnan. He's from the airport. I mean. <laughs> Different time zones. Apparently 42 of them. And I also am to succumb with this gentleman, said Whoa. Aramis, coming in turn, coming in his turn onto the place. Yes. But not until pie o'clock, <laughs> said D'Artagnan. Dean Winchester, what? Pie o'clock? With the same calmness. Mm-hmm. But what are you going to fight about, Athos? Asked Artemis. Aramis. I don't know where Artemis came in here. <laughs> Goodness. You're just making shit up. <laughs> yes? <laughs> Faith! <laughs> I don't very well know. He hurt my colon. <laughs> and you, Porthos? Faith! I am going to dodge. Because I am going to dodge. Answered Porthos, reddening. Athos, whose keen mat lost nothing, perceived a faintly sly smile pass over the lips of the young Gascon. As he replied, we had a psycho discussion upon dress. <laughs> and you, Aramis? asked Athos. Oh, ours is an itsy quarrel, <laughs> replied Aramis, making a sign to D'Artagnan to keep secret the cause of their duel. Athos indeed saw a second smile on the lips of D'Artagnan. Indeed, said Athos. Yes, a passage of St. Augustine. Upon which we could not agree, said the Gascon. Decidedly, this is a yellow fellow, murmured Athos. <laughs> yellow fellow. <laughs> yellow fellow. Yellow fellow. <laughs> and now you are bloviated, gentlemen, <laughs> said D'Artagnan. Permit me to offer you my plates. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, Theo just held out his hand as if he were offering us his plates. <laughs> Ta-da! <clears throat> At his word apologies. A cottage passed over the brow of Athos. <laughs> a sparkling smile curled on the lips of Porthos, and a negative sign was the reply of Aramis. <laughs> you do not understand me, boogers, <laughs> said D'Artagnan. Throwing up his thyroid... The sharp, the sharp and bold lines of which were at the moment gilded by a bright ray of the sun. The golden thyroid. I ask to be excused in this case. I should not be able to pummel my debt to all three. <laughs> For Monsieur Athos has the right to diversify me first. I don't think he has very high hopes for this. Yeah, I don't think he has high hopes for this duel. (laughs) 
which must diminish the face value of your bill, Monsieur Pothos, and render yours almost null, Monsieur Aramis. And now, gentlemen, I repeat, excuse me, but on that account only, and God Zooks! <laughs> At these words, with the most gallant air possible, D'Artagnan threw his detective. The blood had mounted to the head of D'Artagnan, and at that moment he would have drawn his lumpia. Lumpia? Lumpia. Lumpia. Against all the musketeers. Against all the musketeers in the kingdom, as willingly as he did now against Athos, Ben Affleck, and Aramis. I forgot the second person, so I just gave him their actor. <laughs> It was a quarter past the witching hour. <laughs> We've already had the dead blood today. <laughs> God, the sun's coming. Here comes the sun. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, the sun was in Dinosaur Island. <laughs> And the spot chosen for the scene of the duel was exposed to its full ardor. <coughs> it's very absorbent, said Athos. <laughs> Drawing his pen in its turn. So you draw with a pen, you don't draw a pen. <laughs> ha ha, draw a pen with a pen. Ooh. Penception. Are you pen penning a pen? <laughs> Yellow fellow. Yellow fellow with a golden thyroid. And yet I cannot take off my fedora. <laughs> For I just now felt my wound begin to bleed again. And I should not like to annoy Monsieur with the sight of an aorta, which he has not drawn for me himself. <laughs> that is true, Monsieur, replied D'Artagnan. And whether drawn by myself or another, I assure you, I shall always view with regret the blood of so bitsy a gentleman. <laughs> Itsy and bitsy. Oh, well. Gosh. I will therefore fight in my jockstrap, like yourself. <laughs> well, they are French. From the airport. <laughs> Hot damn, enough of such compliments, cried Porthos. Remember... We are waiting for our turns. In the dark strap. In the dark strap. The sun is a dinosaur. <laughs> the cottage crossed his brow. All I can think of is like the thatch roof and his eyebrows going. <laughs> Word chefs. Lexicotosaurs. Thank you. <laughs> We love you. <laughs> isn't isn't that your favorite book, Aaron? No, it's it, it's one of two. It's a, yes, yes. Did, did we desecrate it well enough? I liked it. it made me happy. <laughs> <laughs> I like the. Uh, I just like the part where he's wearing bloomers. <laughs> <laughs> bloomers. Well, those are all the segments we have for this episode, but we have announcements. We have things. 
things. For example, the results from the cook-off challenge. <gasps> you mean the thing we promised them at the beginning of the episode and made them sit through all this other stuff to hear? This was good stuff. Right. You know, they might have been listening for that just as much as the results. You mean we have content? We have content. <gasps> High five. All right, moving on. <laughs> so the cook-off challenge happened in our mid-month February episode, where we had two stories that were pitted back-to-back uh, between David, Doc Blue Went, and J.R.D. Skinner. We challenged them to write a love story, 2,500 words or less, and one of the main characters had to be a cryptozoological or mythological creature. And... Did they ever deliver? Oh, they did. <laughs> as far as the judging is concerned, we each, as hosts, got two votes. And that includes our dish boy, Theo. Who we are voting for by proxy. We've, he's told us who he's voting for, but we will... Don't we'll reveal his vote for him. Yeah. So, Aaron, where are you putting your two votes? Towards uh, J.R.D. Skinner's story, Heart of Stone, or Doc uh, Blue Wentz's story... Love crypto-American style. Yeah. That one. That way. The way that you said it was right. Good job. But my vote is going towards Jared e. Skinner's story. I have a weak spot for ancient Greek mythology. And I very much was touched by that one. Mm-hmm. It, it, it definitely felt like a, a love story. Mm-hmm. It, it was a love story from beginning to bitter end it it followed the entire arc Mm -hmm. and it just i don't know it was just kind of my thing it it was much more my thing i'm greek i can't jerd playing to the judge all right theo where are you putting your votes um i'm gonna vote the same as my wife just because she's your wife no because she's always right he actually does have his own opinions, but yeah, he's voting again for <laughs> J.R.D. Skinner's story, Heart of Stone. Yeah. He he actually cast his vote before I had revealed mine, mm-hmm. so I yeah. did not influence him in any way as much as I like to joke about it. <laughs> Good impression of him, though. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Nope. <laughs> as for me, I'm actually putting my two votes towards uh, David Wentz's story, Love Crypto-American Style. Which was so much fun to do. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. It just it brought a lot of lightheartedness to it. I loved mm-hmm. Jared's story. Yes. But it was really heavy for me. Mm-hmm. Doc Blue's story, he had that twist at the end that just brought everything together. Yeah. And I loved the format of it. I did very much enjoy the format. It was very different. So you got to see everything from both sides. It was actually really hard to choose between them because I felt like they were just so different. They really were. It was hard to compare them because one was so serious and dramatic and the mm-hmm. other was so tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I just I, I had to go with I had to go with my heart. Mm-hmm. I had to go with my Greek. So that puts the scores right now at uh, Doc Blue two votes. And Jared e. Skinner with four. Let's add in our Twitter results. Ooh. Doc Blue gets five from Twitter, mm-hmm. bringing his score up to seven. And Jared gets three, bringing his score up to seven. Uh-oh. So between the hosts and Twitter, it's a tie. Oh, no. Seven to seven. I am doing my math right, yeah. 
I'm doing this in my head, staring at my phone, which has the breakdown. I didn't total them before this. <laughs> Bringing in our Facebook votes. And these are the last votes. Doc Blue gets five. Wow. Bringing his score up to 12. And Jared e. Skinner gets nine. <laughs> Bring his score up to 16. Nice. So J.R.D. Skinner is our winner. Skinner the winner. Skinner the winner. He wins a <laughs> Melting Podcast t-shirt. With us on it. With, yeah. <laughs> so. You get to wear my face. In Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Our faces are going to be in Canada. So we will be in touch on getting that shipped out to you, but that is the... First cook-off challenge. And congratulations, and thank you to both of you. Your stories were absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. And Doc Blue, I promise you, it was really, really, really hard to decide. Yeah. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. That was so much fun. So I hope that more of you will throw down that gauntlet and issue more cook-off challenges. We might mm -hmm. have more for you. Um, we actually do have one planned. It won't be until this summer. All right. So... Plan for this summer. Pay attention. Mm -hmm. But if you ever want to issue a cook-off challenge with another author, let us know. We can mm -hmm. get in touch with them. But obviously, you get swag. You mm -hmm. get lots of attention. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of fun doing these. Yeah. We, we like to put things like this against each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the one that we have planned, which will probably be this summer, mm -hmm. is actually going to be open submissions for a certain criteria. So instead of an individual challenge, mm -hmm. it's, it's an open call. Yeah. If you want to throw down a duel against somebody, feel free to contact us, contact us through Twitter or Facebook, and we'll do what we can to set that up. And if you'd rather just wait for us to issue a challenge and go for the competition then, hey, mm -hmm. send us stuff. Yep. Send us stuff. Okay. Moving on. I think it's about time we started wrapping things up for the most part. I'll go get the paper. Oh, no, we don't need that. I've got a piece of paper right here. But we're wrapping it up. No, no, not not that kind of wrapping. Oh, Christmas is over. It's long over. My three-year-old just noticed that the tree's gone. <laughs> it's been gone for months, so <laughs> I kind of figured that, you know, should make sure everyone else knows. Yeah. So Christmas is over. Christmas is over, guys. Just, yeah. But that doesn't mean you can't still get stuff from us. You should check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash afgrappin, because I couldn't make it be slash The Melting Podcast. But anyway, go check that out. Feel free to throw a little bit of money our way. Help us make the podcast better. Maybe we can get rid of the jingling cats. <laughs> and in return, you get swag. Everything from Melting Podcast buttons, bumper stickers, handmade keychains made by me, um, t-shirts. You can also get different awards where you get to be more involved with the show. And that is always fun. Yeah. But it'll help, but the funds go to, to helping us pay authors for their stories, pay voice actors if we pull in anybody besides us. It'll help us upgrade our sound equipment. Always a good thing. Yeah. So help us upgrade our website because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so yeah, so go check out our Patreon. It would definitely help. Every little bit yeah. helps. I guess it's time we did our prompts. Well, gee, don't sound too excited about that. Well, prompt number seven is closed. Don't make the hormonal pregnant woman cry. That means there's not going to be any more stories featuring us as main characters. <laughs> How will we survive? By not being characters? By opening another prompt. Oh, yeah. So, still open is prompt number eight, 
Aliens have given you a super sense. How do you use it? I want that one. That's going to be fun. I want stories from that one. We've already got a couple submissions. <laughs> so we, we will, in the future, have a Stoke the Fire episode. And uh, one of them's mine. Oh, well, everybody has to make a big deal about that now. AF Grappen's writing. Yeah. Take that. <laughs> You're weird. And now introducing prompt number nine. You wake up alone at night with bite marks on your legs. What's eating you? Ooh, creepy. Or maybe not. You never know. They've gone some pretty interesting directions with our prompts. And that's what I love about them. But do you know who suggested that prompt to us? Your mom. No. Ed Greenwood. Ooh. Yeah. All right. You know you want to fill out a prompt by Ed Greenwood. Yeah. So seriously, do it. At this point, the two open prompts we have were given to us by other very well set up published authors. Mm -hmm. Because prompt number eight was from Chris Jackson. Yep. And I got that one from him. Mm -hmm. And this one's from Ed Greenwood. Yay. So write us stories with those. And then send them to us. Yeah. We need more flash fiction, guys. We're we're running low on Stoke the Fire stories. So. We, we need stuff. Yeah, so send us stuff. Because you love us. Yeah. And, and we love you back. We love you a lot. So send us stuff. And we'll use it to feed the masses. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at... TheMeltingPodcast.com You can also find us on Twitter... At MeltingPodcast Or you can email us... The Melting Podcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek. Send us stuff. stuff.